We've been talking here on a little different theme. I call it prosperity hijacked. So I've been doing a couple of teachings on that. And the key verse that I've been reading, I hardly ever quote this verse, but now I've done it three Sundays in a row. It says in 3 John chapter 2, Beloved, oh, that's a pretty good word. Beloved, you are the beloved of God. What a beautiful church we have. I can even say as the founding pastor and as Pastor Nathan would say, the lead pastor here, we love this church. I hear reports from all over Ontario how churches, large buildings, there are 20, 30 people on a Sunday. I know that many of the people are still watching online, but we have enough to have a crowd and to meet people. I love coming here. And you know why I love coming here? Because you're going to be here. It wasn't so much fun when we had to get here and stand here on our own on a Sunday morning and pretend you were there. It's more fun that you are here. Come on. So I say, beloved, I pray... John says that in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. And John wrote this. He's the last writer of the Bible. He, he could kind of digest what everybody else had written. And then he writes this. And some, some people wave this scripture aside and say, oh, it's just a greeting. It doesn't mean anything. It's like saying hello. I don't think so. I think when the apostle John wrote something, he meant that. And he says, I want you, and I say the same thing, I want you in every respect. In whatever life brings you, I want you to prosper, to have a successful journey is what that word means, and be in good health even as your soul prospers, meaning even as your mind, your emotions, uh, your understanding is prospering. I want you to do well in every area. And so, 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 so the Bible does talk about that God wants to help us. You know, you can do some things and you can figure some things out, but God wants to help you. But I'm saying this idea that God wants us to prosper has been hijacked down through history. You know, this idea was, was hijacked by a poverty ideal so that the church was teaching if you were really spiritual, you should really be poor. And that's still with us today. You know, people get suspicious as soon as somebody says, God wants to bless you and help you in every area, including in material things. People get suspicious, and, and they have good reason to. We've been talking about some of the abuses, manipulative preachers who, who manipulate people for selfish purposes to give money. I am sick and tired of that. And part of the reason I'm teaching this is because there's been so much manipulation by preachers trying to squeeze an offering out of people that the whole idea of prosperity has got a bad name. And so that means if you try to teach it from a pure heart and just say, I'm going to teach what the Bible says, there's kind of like a dirty feeling to it. Because there's so many, so many scams and so, many, so much trickery in this. And so this idea that God wants to help and bless you has been hijacked by those who had this idea you should have a vow of poverty and others who have abused the revelation that God is a good God. So I want to stand there and teach what the Bible says about it. And, and so, you know, even people in the world, they, they think that, oh, if you're a good Christian, you should, you should be like, you know, like a, like a Buddhist monk with, with just one robe walking around hoping for something. It's always that suspicious. You know, it happened to me one time in Sweden, the country I was born. One time, the biggest newspaper in the country, on the front page, it said, star preacher. That, that's the word they use. Star preacher connected with Russian mafia. I couldn't believe it. There was my picture. I'm the preacher. 
connected with the Russian mafia. I couldn't believe. So what happened, this big newspaper, they call me up one morning, and they say, we are about to publish a story about how you get money from the Russian mafia. See, as soon as money comes in, they go, oh, there's something dirty here. I said, what? I was just waking up. I said, what? I don't have any money from the Russian mafia. I wish I had, of course, but I don't. Uh, they said, no, no, we, we, we've already got the article ready. We just want you to affirm it or deny it. I said, I deny it. So that's what they wrote. He denies it. But they said, I said, I haven't done, well, we have a recording, they said. We have a recording. And I got a little nervous. I said, they have a recording? So they played this recording for me on the phone. And there I am. I'm preaching away. It was in Finland I was preaching. They had found a recording. It was like a year-old recording. It must have been a low news day, you know. And nothing was happening. And so they had to find something for the front page. And I was talking about how we'd been in a big stadium in Russia, and this Russian mafioso had received Jesus Christ, been born again. And then I kind of said gleefully, you know, so we thank God we got support from the farmers and the politicians and ex-communist party members and even the Russian mafia supporting us because he tried to help out an usher in the meeting. Well, they spun that out because it's just like, it's like so infected. And for the record again, if there's any mafia member here, please give all whatever money you have. We'll turn it into the gospel. Are you with me? We, we will receive all that. It's a good time. You can clap right there. And, and so I'm saying, and then you have these preachers, as I've been quoting, a very famous preacher said, you know, any, having money is a curse. I said, the only person who will say that is somebody who has lots of money. Not the person who's scraping to survive and pay the rent. They're not going to say money is a curse. So I said, it's easy for you to say. No, you know, we, 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 we reject these abusive, manipulative things. But we are saying there is a way that our God is for us. And Jesus has done something for us. He who was so rich became poor that we through his poverty might be rich. Amen. And last Sunday, I talked about three hooks that you could hang everything on. Everything the Bible says. I said three things, and you can put them on the, on the PowerPoint. Wisdom, work ethics, and generosity. There's three things the Bible talks about. Not, not, not just one thing, three things. Wisdom principles. That's important. We could talk for hours about that. Work ethics. Not being lazy. The Bible talks a lot about that. How we work. And then generosity. And, and, but, but even generosity can become perverted in that you try to teach it so much so that people think, well, I better try to pretend that I'm generous. And you get into this idea that I'm going to give to God so I get back. You know, there's a truth to that. Given it shall be given. But it's only a half truth. And so what we talked about, you know, we talked about receive. That, that's, that this is God's way. Receive from God. Receive God's love. Receive God's grace. And that causes us to become generous. And then when we become generous, of course, there's more increase coming our way. This is God's way of prospering us. In Matthew 10, 8 says, freely you received, freely give. And so we want to be generous. But, you know, I could just teach, be generous, be generous, be generous, and it doesn't come from the heart. And even that can become perverted. You know, some... We talked about gimmicks. Well, one gimmick I saw that just, there was this teaching, you know, many parents and grandparents are concerned about their kids, right? And they're concerned maybe about their grandkids. And they pray for them. And so, 
And so you can appeal to that. So this particular group, they were raising money. Of course, it's all cloaked in prayer and fasting, and we've been fasting, and God said to do this. Well, they were having Oakley's sunglasses. Not regular sunglasses from a dollar store, Oakley's. How many know they're expensive? And they said, we're going to give this to young men and women who serve in the Israeli Defense Force. And if you give $500 to our ministry, it's always to our ministry, you know, we're going to give these sunglasses. Well, that's nice to give away sunglasses. Kind of expensive even for Oakley's, but anyhow. And then, but then they had concocted this. Because many of you are concerned for your own family. And if you will give these Oakley sunglasses to soldiers in the Middle East so that they can see better and shoot better and aim better, well, we can discuss that another day, then God is going to release his blessing on your family. Because, oh, yeah, well, you know, if he fasted for 21 days and, well, I, you know, I, I want to hedge my beds, that's a scam. That's a scam. You know, it would be like you went, you know, how many know here in Ontario, in case you're watching worldwide, we have free health care. Imagine if you went to emergency and there's some fellow standing there, and as you're entering into emergencies, I have a hundred dollar voucher. This will give you, this will give you free care. What would you do? You would say, that's a scam artist. I don't need to pay some stranger a hundred dollars to go to emergency in the hospital. See, that's what preachers do when they say, give $500 and God will bless you. God will protect you. No, Jesus already paid for that. Just like we have free health care in Ontario, you don't pay twice for what Jesus already did. He paid for the blessing in your family. He paid for, paid for the blessing in your life. And so we reject all that. Come on, grow up, everybody. And so anyhow, so in, in a part of my life, I was a little bit contaminated by this. And you know my story. I'll tell you a couple of stories today. But So many years ago, the Lord began to speak to me to not mix, you know, his grace, his love, with all kinds of gimmicks of human performance. And so it was a real beautiful time in my life. I was growing. I was just reading the Bible like I'd never read the Bible before. And God would begin to show me. Let me show you some of the principles I learned during that time. I learned that faith and religious works don't mix. You know, whatever is a faith is a faith, but you can't mix it in with religious works. It's like Abraham, you know, he wanted to have a child. God had promised, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you Isaac. But when Isaac wasn't born, he says, I'll take matters in my, in my own hands. And so he had sexual relationship with Hagar. Even his wife agreed to it. And they had a son. And then the Bible says, it was like he was trying to make things happen on his own. And he was very miserable. That's how Christians are. If you try to kind of receive God's goodness and God's love without condition, and then you try to pay for it at the same time you become very miserable so I learned that then know your covenant I learned to know that I'm not living under the law of Moses I'm living under the blessing of Abraham which was by grace that Jesus Christ died and rose again so that I would receive the blessing of Abraham and then I learned only that which comes by faith and grace brings glory to God you know if you receive Christ as your Savior if you come and you say Pastor Nathan, would you pray for me? I want to receive Jesus. And you would say, oh, you know, I've been fasting for three weeks before I came here, Pastor Nathan, to get saved today. And I've been memorizing scripture verses every day. Do you think I can get saved now? You might get a very strange salvation. You go home and say, well, I got saved because I fasted for 21 days. No, you get saved for free. 
You get saved for free. Some people say, well, I got healed because Peter Youngren prayed for me. You probably will lose your healing if that's, your, if that's the thing. No, you are healed because of what Jesus Christ did. And so the only way that, that God gets the glory is if we don't get the glory. And it's, it's the same in the area. So God was teaching me these things. But then when it came to this area of finances, I had a hard time. You know, the Lord was literally, I have like thousands of sermons I preached. I mean, I've been at this for a long time. And the Lord was speaking to me. Kind of like, I like your sermons mostly, but there's some bad stuff in your sermons. And he began to show me how I was mixing God's love and grace with coming up with traditions and man-made rules uh, for people to kind of get that. And, and I don't like that. So I kind of started to take that out. And then well, when it came to finances, I was really scared because, you know, most preachers, they're really concerned, especially now during this pandemic, they're thinking, how is our church going to survive? By the way, God is blessing our church. I just want to say that to you. So, 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 so God is blessing us, but, but it's because of you. And, and, and people say, well, we've got to raise money. So the Lord said, well, you know, some of the sermons you preach about finances, they're really good, but there are some bad parts in them. Don't you like when the Lord rebukes the preacher? I thought I had it all together. So, so I was saying, my Lord... If I don't have a little bit of, you know, works religion and, and legalism in there, maybe the people won't give any money. The Lord said, well, why don't you trust me? So I was debating with the Lord about this. I said, well, I'm just preaching the way all the other preachers are preaching. Well, he says, I want to show you. So I was, I was arguing with the Lord. And I was sitting in the backyard. I still remember it so well. I said, Lord, you know, I have this one sermon that I really like. And whenever I preach it, people give a lot of money. And I was trying to tell the Lord how I was really helping him because I'm using the money for the gospel. So, Lord, what could be wrong with this sermon? It's a guaranteed moneymaker. Are you with me? And he says, go and get the notes. i never forget. It was one of the most meaningful conversations. He said, go get the notes. It's interesting. I'm not, most sermons, you know, I feel like the Lord is impressing on me what to preach. But this one, he told me to go and get the notes. So I, I ran up and I was trying to describe where, where are those notes. And then I went back out. It was a, in the summer. And he says, now go, let's go through your outline. And he went through the outline with me and showed me what I had missed. How many like to hear that? I've shared it, but it's worth sharing. Let's look at this. So here's where my outline started. Genesis 46.1. It says, Jacob set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God. So he gave an offering to God. Do you see that? He offered sacrifices. Then it says in the next verse, verse 2, Then God spoke in a vision of the night. I am the God of your father. Don't fear to go down to Egypt. I'll make you a great nation. I will go with you to Egypt. I will also bring you up again. And Joseph, your son, he will put your, his hand on your eyes. Meaning that when, when you die, Joseph will be right there. Your family will be reunited. So can you see how I preach this? I said, how many here would like for God to speak to you in a vision? People said, yeah. You can, you, you know, are you with me? I said, look at this scripture verse. You can keep it up there. How many, how many want God to make you great? How many want God to guide you? He wants to bring your family together. And then it will say, but it all started that Jacob gave an offering. So I said, look at that. He gave an offering. And on. Then God spoke in a vision. 
So I kind of was making the people think, you better give an offering so that God will speak to you. And the Lord said to me, that's only half truth. Look at what happened just before. Everybody say, just before. So I had to turn in my Bible, and I went to the previous chapter. And then it says there that something happened to Jacob. You know, Jacob had lived a very difficult life. It says that they came to Jacob, and they said to Jacob, Joseph, your son is still alive, and he's the governor of Egypt. See, Jacob thought, my son is dead. I've suffered so much pain. But here he finds out, your son is alive. And Jacob's heart stood still. He didn't believe them. And when they told him all the words that Joseph had said, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob revived. And he said, it's enough. My son is alive. I will go and see him. And suddenly I saw it. I was extrapolating from verse 1 in chapter 46, he gave an offering and God spoke to him. It didn't start there. It started with Jacob receiving an overwhelming demonstration of God's love for him. That's where it all started. What happened to Jacob was he had been so sorrowful and I blew it. I made a mess of my life. He had had so much pain. You know, there had been rape in his family. He thought his son had been murdered and suddenly he has a revelation. Oh my God, you are so much better to me than I ever thought you loved me so much more you have looked after me even when I thought you had forgotten me that's what happened to Jacob so it started not with Jacob it started with God and then of course and he says I'm going to bring an offering but it wasn't like Jacob said if I give an offering God's going to bless me no God already blessed him freely you receive freely give are you with me so then I went to another example Genesis 22, 2, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to Moriah and offer him there. I thought, that's quite an offering. It's quite an offering. Offer your son. Of course, God wasn't intending for the son to die, but it was a test. Then he said in verse 22, because you have done this thing, and not withheld your son, your only son, in blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants. You'll possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all nations shall be blessed. Can you see? Then I turned that in my preaching. And I said, look at that. Abraham was willing to give the ultimate offering. And then God says, I'm going to make you great. How many, I was, How many want God to make you great? How many want God to bless and multiply you? Everybody goes, yeah. I said, well, then you have to do this. You have to be willing to give an offering. See how I put a little bit of a pressure there. In other words, you better be generous or else. Can, can you feel that? And the Lord says, you know, it's, it's a good, good outline, but I'm not happy with it. Look what happened before. I'm still sitting in my bathing suit in the sun chair and with all these notes having this discussion. As I turned the page, went earlier, what happened in the previous chapter, the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time which God had spoken. So what happened? Abraham had been waiting for Isaac to be born for 25 years. Come on now. That's a long time. 
And finally, the son is born. And he said, I can't believe it. Sarah's body is dead. My body is, is dead. Our child having years are over. But God has done something great. God has been so merciful. How, how many could be happy about such a miracle, right? And then God says, will you offer your son? Because what, 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 what Abraham is thinking, he's thinking, you know, my God is so big, he's just, like, he's just like awesome. Even if I did sacrifice my son, God just raised him right back up again. So, so it wasn't in a vacuum that Abraham says, well, I'm going to give to God and let's see what, I'm going to push God into a corner to give back to me. See, that's how it's taught sometimes. No, out of love, out of this abundance of God's grace, Abraham says, I want to respond. You see, obedience does matter. People say, well, does it matter if we respond? Of course it matters. That's why we look to Abraham as our example. You know, both Abraham and Jacob had some tough times. They both failed. Anybody here has ever failed? Don't lift your hand. I don't want to see. I mean, they both needed God's grace. But there was a difference between Abraham and Jacob. Jacob seemed to he, was, he didn't become obedient. He became opportunistic. He was always scheming. Who could he connive? Who could he take from? What could he grab? Who could he fool? And he got fooled and tricked himself, and he tricked others. And even when he wrestled with God, you know, and he broke through, the breakthrough didn't fully change him. So he kind of was scheming and, you know, hiding from God. But Abraham, he, he, he surrendered to God, even when he blew it. And so, uh, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, so, I want to say good news. If you've been a schemer your whole life, you can come to Jesus. And you can get overwhelming love and grace from God today. Come on. But, but I don't recommend the Jacob life. I, I recommend uh, Abraham. He's our example. You know, he wants to bless you. He, in a, for first of all, spiritually, in every area. But I'm saying... When I think about the world that needs to hear the gospel, when I think about billions of people, and I think about that many of them never heard of Christ, and when I think about the mandate of this church and our ministry around the world, world impact, when I think about that, I say, I have to believe that God doesn't just give us an assignment. He gives us the resources to fulfill that assignment. He gives us the resources to do. And so, so let's not fool ourselves. You know, some people say, oh, money means nothing to me. I say, well, good, give me yours. But it means nothing to you. It means something to me. You know, somebody came to me one time. He was a missionary. He said, oh, he says, you know, money means nothing to me. And then he put out all these plans. And what he was doing, he thought I had $80,000 to spare. I've never had that to spare. And he said, I need 80000 Can you give me that? And they could, But money doesn't mean anything. I said, get out of my office. You're asking me for, first of all, I can't do this. And secondly, you're obviously a very foolish person. Obviously, you don't have an understanding how the world works. Uh, so, so I'm not going to give you one penny. If money, you know, of course, we talk about the love of money is a root of evil. 
But when you have, when you're in love with Jesus Christ and He has changed your life and you say, My God has been so good to me in your hand, of course, money will help you to deal with your own challenges, but it becomes a tool to finish the task that Jesus gave us. And that's why I say, Beloved, I wish you would prosper in all areas and be in health as your soul prospers for your own well being, but for the world. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. Okay, let me give you some more. Here's one. Second Chronicles 1.6. Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord and offered a thousand burnt offerings. It'd be like saying, I could feel led to say, a thousand dollars. No, it says burnt offerings. And then it says, verse 7, on that night, God appeared to Solomon and said, ask what I'll give you. I said, oh, do you see it? He gave an offer. He gave a thousand burnt offerings. And then God said, what, what do you want? And I would say, how many of you would like for God to say to you, what do you want? Well, you better give a thousand burnt offerings. And then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, you not ask for riches or wealth or for the life of your enemies, but you ask for wisdom and knowledge, I will also give you riches and wealth. And so I would say, how many want you know, wisdom, knowledge, riches, and wealth. Well, you better give an offering. The Lord said to me, you're not doing right. You're not preaching it right. You're putting people into bondage. You're making people think that they're going to buy God's gift. You're not saying it directly, but you're implying it. So how many are getting to know the Bible study? I heard the Lord say, look what happened just before. That's always a good thing in studying the Bible. Look what happened before. So I went, and look what happened in the verse before. And it says in the verse before, 2 Chronicles 1.1, 1, 1, the Lord was with Solomon and exalted him. So, so it wasn't that he didn't get exalted because he gave all these offerings. He was exalted because of God's love. God raised him up. Come on. When Jesus saved you, when God blesses you, it's because you are loved by God. You are beloved with an everlasting love. God has loved you. Come on. That's wonderful. But then you can respond to that. So I say to you, has God done anything for you? Has God given you life and a mind? Has he blessed you? Has he told you that you're accepted? You're accepted in the beloved? Has God ever given you anything? Come on. Now, if you don't feel like he's given you anything, well, we'll have to talk about that later. But how many feel like God giving you a little bit of something? All right. So does our response matter? Does it matter if we respond to God's love? Of course. That's the miracles in the Bible. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, she put everything on the line. She had gone to many doctors, and then she pressed in, and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, which was actually breaking the law of Moses that says the woman couldn't touch a, a man's clothing. So she kind of gave, that's a big offering. She laid her whole life on the line. But he didn't start there. It says she heard about Jesus. She said, oh, he's so great. He's above all these rules and, and regulations. Same thing happened with, with Zacchaeus. You know, we talk, he was so generous. He gave, he gave four times back of everything he stole. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened after Jesus had defied the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he came to Zacchaeus' house, and he said, salvation has come to this house. And Zacchaeus got so happy, he said, yabba dabba do. I want to do something here. God has loved me so much. The whole society has rejected me. 
They said, I'm no good. I'm a big bad sinner. But Jesus showed me that I'm the beloved of God. He says, I'm going to give back four times. You, you see how that happened? And so it's a response to God's love. It's a response to what God has done. Same on the day of Pentecost. They gave everything they had. And, and, and uh, not in a vacuum, not to get God to bless them. They weren't giving to get. It's because God's love had been revealed. You know, I tell a story sometimes. Put, put that picture up. I have a picture of a, of a man who's gone to be the Lord many years ago. He used to be a friend of mine. You know, C.M. Ward, he was born here in Toronto. They, everybody thought he was an American. I think it's some place called Cabbage Town. Have you heard of Cabbage Town? That's here, right? He's born in Cabbage Town. Now, he looks a little old and crusty there, and he was, but he was a wonderful person. So when I first came to Canada, I was an immigrant like many of you. Then I was at this, I was probably nine, 20 years old at the most, and he was a speaker at this convention with all these preachers. I was just a little preacher sitting in the back. I still remember what he preached. Leave his picture up there. He's such a handsome guy. And he preached a sermon called Kiss. He was teaching the preachers how to preach. Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. That was his message, you know. I still remember it. He's pretty good, right? And, and for some reason, he took a liking to me. You know, I was just a little guy sitting there. Nobody knew me yet. He liked me. And so I went out for dinner with him with the group. He said, come with me. And then later on, uh, you know, he was very famous because he was a, the fellow who wrote his biography, Doug Weed, wrote the, the biographies of several U.S. presidents. And so he was uh, well-known in the Assemblies of God. And so then, you know, I met him from time to time. Now, from years went by. Then him and I, it happened several times, but one particular time, out here in Belleville, we were preaching a Christian conference together. So we would be staying at the same hotel every night for about three or four days. And I was excited. I'm going to meet this old guy. He was really old by then. He was sitting on a chair preaching. I hope I'm never going to do that to you. I sit on a chair preaching just to rest, you know. And, and I was so excited. I'm going to meet this C.M. Ward, the great C.M. Ward. And he was so nice to me when I, nobody knew me at all. He took, took me in. And, and because I'd heard that he or his, when he was a little boy, was when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came to Ontario. So his parents were having home meetings down in what's called Jordan today, the little town of Jordan, which is towards Niagara Falls. And they were having all these uh, meetings, and, and they were praying, and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I was so excited about this. And, you know, I was been into publishing magazines, so I had my little recorder, and, I, and he told me I love fish and chips. So I said, we're going to the big fish and chips restaurant, and, and, and you know, huge pieces of fish dripping with fat. How many know? You've been there, right? The, 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 the French fries just filled with fat and, and, and crispy nice. And now CM Ward, put this picture up there again so they can see who I'm talking about. He had this propensity because he was a radio preacher, so he knew how to articulate words. And so he tended to spit when he preached, he, especially on the letter P when he said preacher. It kind of came out of him or power or Pentecost, you know, it was like a shower. Can you see us sitting at the fish and chips restaurant? I have my recorder there. And I said, now, now Brother Ward, I said, you know, I, I remember I heard that you're, you were a little boy, but your, your parents were there in Jordan, Ontario, uh, which was the, one of the places where the Holy Spirit was poured out here. Can you tell me about that? I want to know. 
Did they see angels? You know, I wanted to have something really remarkable. Uh, did, did they really pray all night? You know, I was, I was into that. And, and he started at me. He took his finger out and, and he said, listen, young preacher. And you know, there was my fish and chips covered with saliva uh, from Cabbage Town. I tell you, he said, there was some power of God. That kind of came again. And I'm trying to kind of move my plate, you know, without making it obvious. And he is saying, he says, there's one thing with those farmers down there on the peninsula. I said, they were stingy, he said. He got himself all worked up. I'm thinking he's getting old. Maybe he'll have a heart attack. He was, so, he was still upset. He said they didn't know that they should respond. But I said, tell me what happened. He says, it's more important for you to know. He said, they didn't respond. They were stingy. They weren't like on the day of Pentecost. that The people just got so generous. They just gave. And he kept, and I, record, I never did publish it. Because it wasn't what I wanted to hear. But maybe I should have, because I've learned some things. He was saying, what we do with God's grace, and I always forgot that. I never, always remember that. Never forgot it. He said, yeah, there was great things. But the people started taking it. They didn't respond. Like Jacob, you know. Oh, God, you've been so good to me. I, I want to give to you. Abraham, you've been so good to me, God. I want, it wasn't a response. So everybody know the response is important. Let me give you one more example. Are you with me? Yeah. Same thing, Second Chronicles 5. Solomon and all the congregation of Israel were sacrificing sheep and oxen that couldn't be counted or numbered. Wow, that's a big offering. You can't even count it. And he says... Verse 14, the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. So the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. So I would say, anyway, how many want God's glory to fill your house? How many? I said, well, look, look, see, he gave an offering first. See how I got that hook in there. I meant well. I meant really well. But that's the only way I'd heard preachers preach. You give to get. I didn't understand it. And there I felt that voice inside of me say, Look what happened just before that. Before Solomon offered offerings that couldn't be numbered, what happened? It says in, in the verse prior, all the elders of Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of Jesus Christ. It was God's presence. And Solomon was just so happy. We have God's presence. We are not living separated from God. That out of that joy, he gave an offering. I tell you, that's what happened to the Macedonians. They gave out of joy. And so I'm, I want to teach our church. And the reason I talked about this, yes, there have been abusers and manipulators that have hijacked the message that God wants to help you and prosper you. There have been people who are deniers who say, oh, Oh, you know, you should be poor your whole life and don't believe God's going to help you in that area. There have been all kinds of hijackers. But there's also another hijacker, which is this self-effort, performance, legalistic religion that kind of says, yes, Jesus has done so much for you, but now you have to do a little extra yourself or God's not going to bless you. So I want to tell you, God has blessed you. You are blessed. You are accepted. If you never give a dime, and we hope that's not you, but if you never give a dime, God, 
God still loves you. Jesus' arms are outstretched. I am done with scheming and trying to manipulate and try to say it in this way. If you, if you give this, then God's going to do that. My friend, Jesus Christ paid for it all. He paid everything that you need. It's yours. I don't know if Pastor Nathan is getting nervous when I said that. Now, if you never give a dime, you're still just as loved by God. And we'll pray for you. We don't, we don't practice, you know, well, come to my prophecy convention. And if you give $1,000, you go in that lineup, we'll give you a $1,000 prophecy. If you give less, you can just get a general word. What kind of chicanery is that? Run from that. So we we not, but then we're saying, well, what do you want to do? When I think about how God has been so good to me, when I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, oh, we sing, we want to shout all night. We want to, some people think they want to spin all night. I don't want to do that because I get exhausted. I want to dance all night. I don't want to do that either. That wears me out. But I can say, I want to be a giver. I started living when I met Jesus. But when I started giving, I began to dig into this gold mine that there is more. There's a cycle where I receive. Let, let, let me put these, these main principles on the board here. Great generosity is preceded by great love. So I want you to see, you have received something. And some of the criticism that has come against teaching prosperity has been justified in that the focus has been on, if you give to God, God's going to give to you. Like it's almost like you corner God and say, God, I'm going to give this and I'm going to hold you to it. You better give back to me or else I'm leaving this church. See, that's, that's so, so some people say, that's all they got out of it. It's true. Give and it shall be given to you. It's true. But it's only half the truth. The foundation for that is God has given so much to me. He has given me life. He's given me a wonderful, wonderful salvation. My God has been so good to me. And I say like Paul said on the road to Damascus, Oh, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? You have saved me. I was an ignoramus. I persecuted you. I hated your gospel. But you have revealed your love to me. What should I do for you? And then when that's the foundation, you say, I want to participate. And then there is a cycle of receiving and receiving. And so I put it like this. You can see this, the sequence. Receive God's everlasting love. Then respond generously to God's love. Then comes increase. Think about it. So everything we do is not that we're not doing things so that God will do things. It's not like you give and God will give to you. You move and God will move. No, he's already moved. He's already moved on your behalf. He's already poured his love. So receive that. Receive his love. Then you have the option. I hope you choose that option to respond generously to God's love. And if you do, you'll see that there is increase and blessing. Amen. So don't let this message be hijacked. You know, some people, they fall for every little trickery. Others say, oh, it's not, God never promised to do anything for you. My friend, read the Bible. Read the stories. Every one of the heroes of the Bible 
God helped them in every area, including finances. So I'm believing God for you. I'm going to pray for you today that God's going to help you. And when it comes to this generosity part of it, which is very important, don't let yourself be manipulated, but be free. And I somehow believe, and Pastor Nathan believes with me, that if we take all the pressure off, we're not there saying to you, if you don't give this morning, I tell you the presence of God is lifting from your life. You will probably bang up your car on the way home. Don't blame me. It's God just taking back because you didn't give him the offering. We just wouldn't go there because it's a lie. But we have faith that we can take all the pressure off. You can be so relaxed. You could just kind of, but, but you'll be so overwhelmed with God's love that you say, He's been so good to me, I want to participate. That's the pattern. Amen? Can I give you a good dose of God's love right now? I'm going to give you one more verse. And maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I found one thing. That when I teach on these kind of areas, like prosperity and finances, which I don't do a lot, maybe once a year, sometimes two years, and then I do a series like I've done here. What I find happens is, that people who don't know the Lord or people who don't have assurance that their sins are forgiven, they really like this message. And they tend to receive Christ. Almost every time, if there are people who say, I need to receive new life in Christ, you know who, who gets mad at me? Christians. Why is he talking about money? I don't like the way he said that. But people in the world, they have they, they got a brain. They figure they, they're using it for a good purpose. And, and so I want to give you a, a, a grace love verse that I think is so awesome. Psalm 130. It says, verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? Leave it up there for a moment. O Lord, if you should mark iniquity. She said, that's what people think. You know, God's watching you. Listen, Bertha, you're not getting away with anything. You pay now, you pay later. Many people, and you know, See, we Christians, we're so used to pressure. People are used to a pressure salvation call. If you don't respond to receive Christ now, maybe the bus will hit you. This could be your last moment. And you can bring, <laughs> I better lift my hand. The preacher says, if I don't lift my hand, this could be my last moment, my last chance. And then, then they got home and they live for 50 more years and said, that preacher fooled me. But we Christians get so addicted to pressure. It's like getting addicted to, to bad food, you know. You get so addicted to it, like if the preacher doesn't say, Jesus is coming tonight, you, are you ready? Is there one sin between you and God? He said, well, if you can't find one, think 10 more seconds and you'll find one. We are so used to pressure, which is unhealthy, that, that we think that when someone talks lovingly, they say, well, he must be compromising. We, we're used to getting a beating. So I'm taking all the pressure off. You don't feel any pressure? Are you doing okay? Look at your neighbor and say, are you doing okay? No pressure? Are, are you okay? Am I telling you that you're going to lose all your money if you don't give? No, I'm not telling you that. But uh, same on this issue of salvation. You see, people, put, put that verse back up there. They pressure, oh, God knows. He's marking your iniquities. Here it says, if the Lord would mark iniquities, who can stand? 
There's no preacher in the world who could stand. If God is going to list everything you've done, he's going to mark you for it. He's going to nail you. He's going to give it to you because you did that. Who can stand? The implied answer is no one. But then he says, there is forgiveness. Actually, the word is misspelled there. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared or awed. Fear me to be. says, God, because you forgive, people are in awe of you. People say, what a God. What a God. I'm in awe of our God. He is not like religion said. He's not the one trying to mark me for everything, every wrong thought I have, every wrong deed. No, there's forgiveness with him. And you know what the human reaction is to that? People say, that's the kind of God I want to serve. That's the kind of God I want to follow. I don't want to follow this nitpicker with a microscope that's checking me out and seeing if I'm good enough because I can't stand before such a God. But the God with whom there is forgiveness, that's the God I want. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? So I'm giving you that right now. As somebody, maybe you need to hear that at home. People hear all kinds of stuff, crazy things around the world. Preachers are masters at scaring people, pushing people, you know, trying to coerce people, manipulate them in different ways to do this. If you don't lift your hand, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, if you don't do the other thing. No. Our message is so great that I don't have to force anybody to do anything. You know, when God showed me that, he said to me, even the way you invite people to salvation, you like to put a little pressure on people. And I used to do that. I meant well. And God said, just let it go. You'll see that my love is so great that my love will convince far more people than your pressure ever could. Amen. So I want to give the first opportunity here this morning, if you're watching at home, if you say, I want to receive this great love. I want to receive this gift of forgiveness of sin, that Jesus Christ took my sins. I don't have to live in uncertainty. I can know that I know that my sins have been forgiven. I can know that I know that I'm accepted before God because of Jesus Christ. And if you would like to respond to that love, you will receive something beautiful. You will get a witness inside that you are a child of God. Something even in your darkest moment will say to you, you belong to Jesus. You, you are accepted by God. Even if you fail, there'll be something in you that says, no, you are accepted because of God's love for you. But it's up to you. Let's just bow our heads right now.